going on, everybody? Welcome to yet another edition of the Best Ball Dose, your fix of best ball information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to be giving the good people a blueprint for how to dominate your home leagues, your redraft leagues. It is finally time right around the corner. You know, this is when a lot of people are tuning in to fantasy football. They've got their drafts with their friends, their families, their co-workers. And, you know, while they're out just having a good time, we're, we're here sitting in our rooms, grinding edges, trying to figure out how we can exploit these casual friends of ours who have not done 500 best ball drafts <laughs> like psychopaths. And we are going to impart that information on you good people today, Joey. I mean, we have two redraft leagues this coming weekend mm-hmm. are you excited to uh to be back in the redraft streets the home league streets yeah i mean redraft is is so much fun especially when you know you have your yearly get together with your boys and you all come together and draft uh we may not have that this year which is truly unfortunate but it's always a good time i'm in a couple more than you uh just because i do like playing redraft quite a bit it's a fun time and i do think that with all of the research and the work that we do over the last five months of the year puts me at a better advantage and at the end of the day like this isn't for fun fan what what's fun i'm here i'm here to win money i'm here to exactly. just absolutely destroy my opponents and that's what we're going to help you guys do today is destroy your league mates with optimal drafting strategy roster construction and how to exploit all the fishes that are swimming out there in the redraft streets. Yeah, you know, we're going to have people coming up to the house getting ready for a draft next week. They're going to be like, man, have you guys done your draft yet? I'm be like, yeah, only 500 of them, Poppy. What you think? What you <laughs> thought this was? Come on. <laughs> what the fuck? All right. <laughs> Let's actually start with what you just said, roster construction, because I think that there is... A blueprint this year that you can follow sort of just some basic rules of thumb in knowing which rounds to attack which positions that will just lead to an optimal team come the end of the draft a lot of this is theory that has been you know researched for best ball but i think is definitely highly applicable to redraft as well joey so let's talk about the blueprint for winning your drafts just from a roster construction standpoint yeah so i think first and foremost you're going to have to look in your league settings and just understand the roster and understand the scoring format. So for Ben and I, our standard leagues that we're in is one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, and then either one or two flex positions and a defense slash kicker. Ben and I also play in full PPR sites. Now, I know there is a ton of half PPR sites out there, which you obviously have to adjust for, but I think a majority of people are playing in full PPR leagues. So just understanding your rosters, how many bench spots you have, and the scoring settings is first and foremost. So if you haven't done that, go do that. Second, with your redraft teams, you can't necessarily win your league in the first four rounds, five rounds, but you could definitely lose your league. 100% Mm. 
guaranteed. You can lose your league if you go down a suboptimal drafting strategy. So in my opinion, the most optimal way to draft redraft teams in 2022 is as follows. With your first or first two picks in the draft, you try and get a high upside running back. And if one falls to you in the second round, you take that. If not, you take one of the high upside wide receivers. And this obviously comes down to your scoring settings as well. If it's full PPR, the wide receivers are going to be better picks at pretty much every part of the draft besides the early rounds. Now, when we get into rounds three through six, this is for all the boomers out there that are going to be listening to this. Yes. Do not draft running back. Wide receivers, like I just said, are better picks at every point throughout the draft than running backs, period. Especially in full PPR, wide receivers have very similar floors, especially the top end guys that you can get in the second and third round. They have arguably higher ceilings and they have extremely less injury risk than their running back counterparts. So this pocket of the draft overall is where you want to be targeting high upside wide receivers and let the other people draft the running backs in this range that don't have similar ceilings compared to the wide receivers. Just bringing it back to your roster in our main home league, you could start five wide receivers. And when people consistently are drafting running backs early and above ADP, that is going to consistently push wide receiver value down the board, just allowing you to ultimately have a monster, monster wide receiver core, especially if you can start more than three or four in any given week. So that is my preferred strategy is just going wide receiver heavy early, especially when you understand the dynamics of how everybody likes to draft, how the public, I should say, likes to draft, and you will be at an edge if you follow that route. Yeah, you know, I mean, I like to just simplify it and say that through the first six rounds of your draft, you want no more than two running backs. You want to have taken running backs in the first three rounds only. You want to cut that off at round four and be focused on receiver and maybe, maybe a high-end quarterback if they present themselves at the right price and it makes sense for your team. And just by setting yourself up that way, you are basically locked into having a solid core to your team. And then you can address the rest of your team through value and just hammering, you know, the the sort of players that are going to fall. And there are going to be a lot of high-end values just based off the fact that the majority of rank rankings that people are looking at, casual people who haven't been doing best ball drafts all summer, these rankings are just dog shit. They're Mm -hmm. terrible. Like I'm looking at the the ESPN top 300 right now for the first time, and I'm astounded by some of the things I'm seeing. A lot of people are going to just be blindly utilizing things like these cheat sheets to get their grasp on the updated NFL landscape, and these lists are frankly behind. I would recommend to anybody out there, maybe you haven't been doing best ball offseason, but you just want to come in with a slight edge, come into your draft using the underdog fantasy ADP instead of any drafts. You know, these are drafts that are being done every hour of every single day with real money on the line by people who are focused and in tune to the fantasy landscape. Like you can just get some edge off of looking at underdog ADP versus ESPN rankings going into a draft. I mean, am I off in that? No, you're absolutely correct. I mean, let's just look at this ESPN top 300 real quick. There are some screaming discrepancies between the way that they are telling you to draft and the way that sharp people who have real money in these drafts every single day are drafting. Some of the things that stand out are just the way that the running backs are being valued. J.K. Dobbins is a top 40 
40 pick. According to ESPN, Devin Singletary, Miles Sanders in the top 60. I mean, these are discrepancies in the top 100 by nearly 40 picks in some spots. Yeah, and this just all comes back to understanding the dynamic of how a majority of people want to play fantasy football. A lot of people want to make sure that they have enough running backs to cover their bases. People love running backs, especially the public, especially people who aren't in tune with best ball and optimal drafting strategy. So like you mentioned, you see guys like Devin Singletary, Miles Sanders, Antonio Gibson, J.K. Dobbins, 30, 40, 50 spots above where they're going in best ball. Obviously, there is a difference between two formats. You're obviously shooting for a top two outcome in best ball to advance, specifically on underdog, whereas in redraft, most likely you're playing six out of your 12 advance, right? So I understand that there's a difference in that aspect, which can impact rankings and draft strategy. But ultimately, like you mentioned, the underdog ADP is pretty much crafted by a majority of sharp users that understand the fantasy landscape that are grinding news and training camp in the offseason whereas some rando on espn had a list of the player pool and just threw this entire rankings list together in 10 minutes and millions of people are going to be drafting off of these rankings so you're just getting an edge on a majority of people just by not using these you don't even have to use underdog fantasy if you could find somewhere that has five or ten percent edge on these rankings like you're going to be pretty well off in my opinion another major discrepancy is just the way that espn and and i'm you know not trying to bully espn i mean they can handle it but (laughs) i'm just saying that the way that they are valuing certain position groups especially receivers in full ppr is crazy to me guys like Allen robinson and juju smith schuster past pick 60 when these are guys that you know we've been taking at the three four turn essentially for for months now and i i believe that those are the correct prices for players like these let's talk about some of the subtle differences in best ball versus redrafts one of the ones i wanted to touch on is that in best ball i think that there is a lot of legitimacy to trying to go with high-end tight ends and i feel less strongly about that in redraft and in your home leagues just because i think that some of the principles from dfs are more strictly applicable there are always going to be cheap tight ends waiver wire tight ends that you can scoop up for free in a given week in a good matchup plug them in get your five targets that week and be pretty in line with all of your league mates save one or two guys who invested a top two pick in an elite kelsey or andrews type yeah for sure i i definitely agree the ability to manage your team is ultimately the difference between redraft and best ball so the ability to bid and scan the waiver wire for tight ends each and every single week makes elite tight ends a little less valuable but then again if we just take a look back at the ESPN top 300 rankings Travis Kelsey is going as the 21st overall player that's where he's ranked I should say (laughs) this dude's a top eight player on underdog like that's just insane like you said the elite tight ends are a little less valued in redraft so you know I, I can't agree that Kelsey and Mark Andrews should probably be second or third round picks in your home leagues for sure but nonetheless there is still a discrepancy there and yeah I think that's one of the major things especially when it comes to these rankings is you know your ability to manage your team throughout the year and your ability to bid on free agents and ultimately how that should affect your draft strategy and what 
what I mean by that is going back to why you should be drafting wide receivers over running backs for a majority of your picks, especially when you could start five, is running back production is just so much more replaceable than elite wide receiver production. For example, Delvin Cook. If Delvin Cook goes down, we know Madison is going to come in to a ton of opportunity and be an RB1 in fantasy. Whereas let's use the same team, for example, Justin Jefferson. If Justin Jefferson goes down, you're not getting that same elite ceiling out of KJ Osborne or Amir Smith-Marset as the Justin Jefferson replacement. There's just absolutely no shot. So the the production is more easily replaceable at the running back position, which I think ultimately devalues the position, but ESPN is valuing it more than other positions. So just from a process standpoint, I think that's completely wrong. Wide receivers are so much more valuable in full PPR formats than running backs. And then you take into account, like I said, bidding and getting potential league winners off of free agency last year, you know, a lot. Elijah Mitchell, Rashad Penny, like this production at running back is so replaceable. Do not overdraft these running backs. Go for wide receivers. Yeah, no. And and I mean, you've, you've basically said it all in terms of the receivers, like a, the ceilings are higher. The hit rates are better. Like I think that last year and and the percentage might be slightly off, but it's in the same range. I think that like 25% of second round running backs paid off and it was like 50% of of the wide receivers. So you're, you're just looking at hit rates that can be almost twice as high for your wide receiver paying off in every single pick. The the position is less replaceable. The ceilings are higher and the injury risk is reduced. Like you said, with the waiver wire stuff, I think, and, and interject if you disagree, but I think that the most replaceable positions are running back tight end and defense and for those reasons those are the things that you want to wait on that those are the ways that you can capitalize and redraft Mm -hmm. versus best ball whereas you're not going to be able to replace the high-end wide receivers and I don't think you're going to be able to replace the high-end quarterbacks either especially in this era of football right now where the top end quarterbacks are truly separators at their position it isn't like five years ago when it was you know wait on quarterback because you know the the range of scoring is so compressed between QB1 and QB12. It's just not like that anymore. Like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, these these quarterbacks have ceilings that the traditional pocket passers you're going to be getting if you wait like Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, those guys simply don't have. Mm-hmm. So I am prioritizing wide receiver. I do want an elite quarterback in my redraft slash home league, and I'm comfortable trying to use the waiver wire to my advantage at running back, tight end, defense, etc. Yeah, and I think ultimately drafting an elite quarterback in redraft is very important for the reasons that you listed. And then also the draft dynamic where you could be drafting with four or five stone donkeys who might draft a Josh Allen in round one, right? So the quarterbacks Mm -hmm. are going to inevitably get pushed up the board. And then you're in round five or round six, and you're kind of boxed out of the quarterback position. So I think drafting a quarterback early is definitely a good strategy in redraft. And that's definitely something that I've kind of undervalued that has hurt my seasons previously. I I will definitely be making that change to uh, make sure I lock up a, a top six, top seven quarterback. But that doesn't mean you need to reach for or five rounds on a quarterback. Like, they have Trey Lance ranked as the 103rd overall player on ESPN's top 300. Like, you could you could probably draft him in the, in the 90s or, or late 80s and, you know, still, still be big chilling. No, a- absolutely. I mean, so 
where does the tier of quarterbacks that you want to get in, in a 12 team redraft league end? Like, are, are you actively looking to get one of those, you know, Herbert Mahomes types, or would you be satisfied with a Trey Lance, Joe Burrow, Russell Wilson, and say your standard 12 man redraft league? Yeah, I think preferred, obviously I'd want to be in like that top six, top seven tier, but if it doesn't work out, I, I, I think being in that tier of Russ, Burrow, Stafford, Trey Lance, uh, Dak Prescott is fine. Where I don't want to live in is that Derek Carr, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Kirk Cousins tier of quarterbacks, and so on and so forth in redraft. I just think that the upside is extremely low with those guys, and you're just going to be competing against you know a bunch of teams that have better quarterbacks than you. So I, I think getting an elite quarterback is definitely very beneficial in in the long term all right the last major talking point i wanted to go over was sort of imparting the knowledge that we have gotten from doing so many best ball drafts is just for what people can expect from different pockets of the draft you know i think that there are really three main pockets of the draft this year it is the top four it is the middle teams, which is five to eight, and then the late teams, which is nine to 12. And having done so many drafts from all these varying positions, I think I have a pretty good grasp on what you can generally expect. Of course, it'll be different in everybody's personal leagues based on you know the level of skill and how much these people are following news. But ultimately, I think that you can know what to expect from these pockets of the draft. For example, you were set up so well at the top of the draft if you have, say, a top pick to get a elite running back and two elite wide receivers at your 2-3 turn because there are just an overwhelming amount of high-end potentially breakout upside wide receivers at that 2-3 turn. It makes all the sense in the world to lock up two of those guys if you're able to secure a high-end running back with your first pick. Yeah, absolutely. If you're in that one 01 to 104 range, I think you are definitely at an advantage in your redraft leagues for sure. You're locked in to what I think is the top tier of fantasy players in CMC, JT, Justin Jefferson, and Cooper Cup. I think there is a slight tier break after those four guys. So if you have a top four pick, congratulations. And then, like you mentioned, there is a plethora of good options on the bring back in the second round. I think if you're drafting out of that late tier, the 109 to the 112, I think you can go numerous ways with your draft. I think you could go zero RB and start your draft with a Devontae Adams or a CD Lamb or Stephon Diggs if he's still available. Or I think you can go to potential workhorse running backs and hope that the wide receiver value falls to you in the third, fourth, and so on. I think ultimately that's probably the most optimal route out of the late position, locking up, let's say, a Dalvin Cook and a DeAndre Swift in full PPR because you know that the running backs are going to get pushed up boards so heavily and you'll be able to still come out of your draft with a very good wide receiver core if you go wide receiver heavy over the next five to six rounds. And then the middle rounds, I think, are just very good for for building nice, balanced teams. And you're kind of like either at the start of a tier or at the beginning of a tier, in my opinion, when you're drafting out of the middle position, uh, which is just very beneficial to building overall well-constructed, balanced teams. Yeah, no, the middle is the most versatile spot, I think, because you always are going to have a decent pick in every round, and it just allows you to scoop up values and and, and sort of just build a value-based team, which ultimately I think is a great 
thing to do. So I, I do enjoy the middle rounds. I mean, let's just use the draft that we have coming up for an example. We got our draft order yesterday. I have the fifth overall pick. On one hand, I feel like Jamar Chase is a lock, assuming the top four goes as planned. But I also want to not get boxed out of an elite running back because the way that I'm looking at you know, a typical home league draft going is that I'll be able to find elite wide receiver ceilings in the third, fourth, and fifth round, right, with those middle picks. So I don't know if it's a situation where, you know, I alter what I think the best move is, is which is Jamar Chase, to go with like Austin Eckler or something like that. We'll play it by ear, but that's what you're able to do in the middle rounds is just sort of navigate value and scoop up value mm-hmm. whenever it presents itself. And I, I do agree with everything you said about the late tier, especially in home leagues. I I think that going two running backs is probably the way to go because you could hit four straight receivers in rounds three through six and just be chilling (laughs) with absolute elite guys. Maybe you listened to our last episode where we talked about our guys for the 2022 season. Guys like Darnell Mooney, Allen Robinson, Hollywood Brown. I mean, you can lock up a handful of those players on a roster that starts from nine to 12 with two elite running backs. And and, I mean, that is going to be a hard team to beat at any point in the year. Yeah, I mean, according to to ESPN rankings, let's let's give them an, an example here. So, say you have the twelfth pick, so you have the twelfth and thirteenth overall pick. Those two players would be Debo Samuel and Stephon Diggs, according to the ESPN top three hundred. But let's say you go Dalvin Cook, DeAndre Swift, for example. If we just take a gander at who would be available theoretically in terms of your wide receivers when the third round comes around, AJ Brown, Deontay Johnson, Jalen Waddle, Mike Williams. Elite. And then if we're if we're just keep if we're going down a little bit further into the fifth, sixth round, like pick sixty around there, you got your choice of Juju, Allen Robinson, Rashad Bateman, maybe potentially like Darnell Mooney, Gabe Davis, if those guys fall, uh, they have them ranked like towards the fifties, but they could potentially fall, especially if people are taking running backs in your league. Uh you could go with an elite tight end in that spot if you choose to do so. You could go with Lamar Jackson, who's going in the fourth round on underdog. They have him as the 62 overall player, which would be, you know, one spot before your pick if you're from the 12th selection. So I don't know. I I think that obviously that's just a theoretical example, but that that's really how you should be building your your teams if if you want to win. Yeah. And and I think that that just about sums it up. Obviously, you know, we have done multiple shows throughout the offseason, a a ton of shows talking about our player specific takes, the guys that we like, if you have any desire to go back and check those out. But that is sort of the thing with dominating these home leagues is every, you know, everybody's going to have pretty decent players, but roster construction is and always has been the thing that gets overlooked. And I think that that is always going to be the key. It's just having a sound structure, which will put yourself in the best position to win. That is what I focus on when it comes to trying to dominate a home league. Yeah. And it's the simplest yet most effective strategy to utilize in redraft because a majority of people are just playing for fun right? They're just playing in leagues with their boys or their coworkers or their family. They're not taking it as serious as us. Like I mentioned earlier in the pod, this ain't no fucking game, okay? Nah. I'm I'm coming for blood. I'm coming to win. Now, winning redraft is a whole different story. There's a lot of variance involved, and sometimes you can have the best players and, and still lose. This isn't a guaranteed podcast to help you 
win your league, right? It's football. There's a lot of randomness involved that you just can't predict. But if you just follow these simple tricks and tips, you will be in a much better position to win your league. And at the end of the day, it's about winning. I'm not I'm not here to have fun. I'm here to win money. I'm here to boost my bank account and absolutely destroy my opponents and make them kick me out of their league for being too good. That's ultimately my goal. Yeah, but they're not going to kick you out for finishing second place behind me. (laughs) (laughs) Coming from the guy who finished last last year. I know this is this is war. Okay. This is fucking war. (laughs) Say no fucking game. Yeah. All right. Look, guys, that is going to be it for this edition of the Best Ball Dose. Hopefully you found this interesting. Hopefully you take some of what we said and apply it to dominate your home leagues. Make sure if you aren't already, you're following us on Twitter at Dose Media Net, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carey and DFS. If you guys want to stay up to date with what's going on within the podcast or join our inner circle, the link to join our free Discord chat is in the show notes to this podcast. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.